You grew up in Queens, not far from an area called Little India. But Little India wasn't enough for you. And so on two extended exchanges, you found yourself living in New Delhi and then Kolkata, very much a piece of the real India. And there was nothing little about it. You're listening to 2233, a podcast of exchange stories. Durga, who is this multi-armed deity she is the epitome of what's referred to as shakti or like feminine energy and she is just like the baddest that ever was like she has several different weapons she was basically formed from different parts of kind of shiva and all these other deities and she rides a lion which is already pretty like cool as is and so essentially durga is the patron um like mother goddess and deity of the bengal region um and so durga puja is essentially her homecoming and so she's coming back to visit her her children who are who are other goddesses like ganesh like saraswati like lakshmi um but then also the people of bengal of west bengal essentially the streets are flooded schools canceled for like basically 10 days um and and it's just kind of a revelry and so throughout the city and even in particular within the villages too you have these large what are called pundals that spring up and so essentially these pungals depict the scene of durga eliminating and killing this demon king the main pundal that everyone was at the my year for durga puja was a hundred feet tall and it's all and then she's just towering over this area and it's just one of those things where it's just like i'm literally going past every day to school in an auto rickshaw just being this seeing this thing being built and that's that moment where I'm just like, where am I? What is this statue? What is really going on here? It's like, I'm definitely on another planet. This week, Durga, the baddest female deity in India. Gandhi, the ever-present symbol of freedom. And MLK, the attentive student of Gandhiji. Join us on a journey from Queens to Kolkata and using differences to find similarities. It's 2233. We report what happens in the United States, warts and all. These exchanges shaped who I am. When you get to know these people, they're not quite like you. You read about them. They are people very much like ourselves. And That's what we call cultural exchange. Hi, uh, my name is Savon Jackson. I'm originally from Queens, New York. I currently work as a India and Vietnam programs manager for CET Academic Programs, which is a study abroad organization based here in Washington, D.C. For my exchanges, I was first a Gilman Scholar um, in 2014 in New Delhi, India. Um, And then second, I was a Fulbright English teaching assistant in Kolkata, India in 2015. Before I, 
hopped on the plane. I don't think I really knew what I was getting myself into, to be honest, especially as a junior in undergrad thinking that I was an adult growing up in New York City, having classmates who were Indian and then obviously influence of Bollywood, maybe having Indian food once or twice, but not really knowing too much about the cuisine or that much about the culture. And so once I got there, it was definitely a shock. So I land in New Delhi, I get through immigration, and then luckily enough, as I'm like waiting for my like two big baggages to come on the carousel, um, I see one of the other women who were gonna who was gonna be in my study abroad program. So I'm like, oh yes, perfect, because I knew I had to like wait outside and find Promoji, um, and so that he could like take us to our uh, hotel for the first couple of nights while the program is starting. We get our bags and we're about to exit the airport, and then because I think that I'm I'm smart. I tell my friend Charlotte and I say, hey, just watch the bags. I'll keep an eye out for a promo G. And then after that, I'll grab you from inside and then we can just hop in a car and go. But what I did not know about Indian airports is that once you leave, you cannot come back in. And so for the first couple of minutes, I'm like looking outside, looking around, seeing if I can find promo G. And then I can't find them. And so I kind of give up. And then I was like, all right, let me just go back in and like find Charlotte and then we can go about our way. But then I am greeted by two very tall Indian soldiers with automatic rifles telling me that unless I have a ticket for a departing flight, I can't get back into the airport. And so basically the scenario is me in front of these two guards with automatic rifles. And then I'm just like looking at my, what would be my future classmate through a glass window. And she has all of our bags and I'm basically freaking out. And in that moment, I'm just like, why did I choose to come here? I need to go back home right now. Within probably like the first two or three months while I was at my school, I was definitely struggling. I had done some informal teaching before. I worked at summer camps. I volunteered at schools, but I wasn't a full-time teacher to that extent. And so it kind of took me a while to really find my niche. When we are with Fulbright taking on this role as kind of an unofficial ambassador, I was really towing the line between like, all right, I want to talk about American culture and like making sure that I'm like still staying on like what's relevant to these students. And then really that aha moment for me was in one day during class, we were talking about different family ages and all of my students were talking about uh, all the times that they could trace their families back from centuries to centuries and they their family had always been in this village for hundreds of years and kind of all these historical aspects um, and then when it turned to me one of the students asked me oh Savan sir what about your family it kind of hit me at that moment I was like oh wow I don't think I've really kind of explained my version of being an American as a black man, right? And so that was kind of one experience where I was able to really share my identity as an American, but as a, a black man in America, right? In terms of telling the students like, oh yeah, I can kind of trace my family back to a certain area in the South, but beyond that, I don't really know where my family or like where I'm my lineage really comes from. And so that kind of led into a larger discussion in terms of uh, kind of really sh sharing with 
my students in terms of talking about the history of slavery in the U.S. and kind of what that means in terms of social issues today. Um, but I really saw that as an opportunity for me to like lean in and also kind of express my culture. That made me be a little bit more comfortable because I was using text and like kind of introducing ideas that I was already familiar with. So um, once I became a little bit more comfortable, I started doing poetry with some of my older students who were in grade nine and 10. And so I introduced them to um, Langston Hughes, I Am America Too. Um, I introduced them to Still I Rise by Maya Angelou and kind of helped them bring the, that literature and that poetry into context in terms of how I interpret it and also kind of get in their interpretations of what it means maybe from their own perspective as well. One of the things that I noticed just from both of my experiences in India, just because of the amount of time that I was there, was that how there was really a lot of overlap in terms of the different like kind of social issues that both American society and Indian society really wrestle with. Um, in particular, when we think of kind of the context of kind of Indian society today, and you kind of have this parallel between what to do with Hindus and Muslims and also what to do with blacks and whites within in an American context. And I think for me, I really saw like how there's so much overlap between these issues. We may call them different things, but really that the, the issues, the struggles, the kind of concepts. And I would say in terms of being in that kind of minority status, you can also relate to individuals who are really just trying to fulfill their own dream, whether that be an American dream, whether that be an Indian dream, whatever that vision of prosperity is. I really saw a lot of overlaps in terms of the conversations that I had with my students, some of my teachers, um, and then other peers that I made in both Delhi and Kolkata. One of the things that I saw myself in this kind of unofficial ambassador role was correcting some of the stereotypes that either students or my peers may have had about Americans, but then also um, about African Americans, right? In terms of, I think a lot of what my students digested in terms of if they saw someone that was black was either they were a rapper or they were Barack Obama. There kind of really wasn't an in-between. There wasn't kind of, you can kind of be what's considered kind of a degenerate of American society, or you can be kind of the epitome of what is success for someone in American society. And I kind of wanted to kind of show them that, hey, you can kind of just be me, someone in the middle, someone who can be successful but doesn't have to be the president, and they can also be successful and they don't have to be a rapper or like an NBA player, right? Like, there is a lot of people like myself who are in the middle and who are doing really great things and kind of also showing them too that like you don't need to be these kind of opposite ends of the spectrum to be someone who is successful, someone who is admired, someone who can be a mentor to someone else.
during my Fulbright experience teaching in the classroom, as I became a lot more comfortable with kind of talking about my experience, talking about my background, being an American, being a black man in America, um, one of the things that I really wanted to show students was kind of the connections between American culture, black culture, and Indian culture. And so one of the units that I did in terms of uh, students usually know who American presidents are just by from their own general knowledge studies. But I would say students didn't necessarily know who civil rights leaders were, um, for example. Um, and so one of the, the classic examples that I gave to my students was that I had a, a basically a two a two class session talking about MLK. Um, and so one of the things that I did was really kind of connect MLK and basically the equivalent to in India, which is Gandhiji. Um, and so I really talked about how MLK was inspired by Gandhiji, how MLK went to India with open arms and he learned about the concept of nonviolent resistance, right? And so that's definitely a term that the students know because Gandhiji is, every there, is everywhere. He's on the money. He's in every school. Everyone knows about Satyagraha, which is nonviolent resistance. But I don't think that they, my students didn't necessarily know that this kind of concept was being taken thousands of miles away. And it was what inspired and what sparked and what like led to the successful achievement of kind of the civil rights era within the United States. And so really, that was one moment where I felt like I was able to kind of knock those lessons out of the park and really kind of see that aha moment where students like, oh, wow, this MLK guy is kind of like Gandhiji. And it's like, oh, wow, Gandhiji is cool. I didn't know that he kind of had this impact in terms of this struggle that is similar to the struggle that um, our forefathers had when they were also trying to fight for their independence, also trying to fight for their rights to be free, to be seen as citizens, to be seen as human. U.S. consulate in Kolkata was very close to where our schools were. We were brought in to um, help lead this um, new pilot program that the consulate was starting. And so it was called Bolo American English and Bolo in, in Bangla means speak. Um, so essentially it was a program called Speak American English and it was designed to be basically a job readiness and professional development program for college age students. So students who weren't that much younger than our own age um, as ETAs. And so I would say kind of one of those moments that those students like left an impression on me is that we basically had eight weeks of workshops where we did readiness training on doing PowerPoints, doing group interviews, doing public speaking. And really the moment that made me the most proud or that left the most, the biggest impression was the final banquet that we had. And so at the final banquet, we're in the biggest room that the consulate has. It's huge. There's so many guests that are brought in. It's all of the different teachers and faculty members from the respective universities that the students are coming from the consulate general is there all of the different fso's are there and really with that final banquet there the the task that we had the students perform was to do uh, a five minute public speech um, about anything of their topic. And so throughout the throughout the eight weeks, we really made sure that we scaffolded the different types of activities so that the students, one, felt comfortable being on stage and kind of having their airtime. And then also, two, making sure that they can kind of be persuasive and kind of make the case for them. And I'll tell you, like those students knocked it out of the park and there were about 15 of them. And that was really 
really the moment where I was like, wow, like something that I was able to contribute to helped these students in terms of being able to gain tangible skills, in particular being able to stand out amongst the crowd when we're talking about such a large job market like India is, or even in general, just being able to gain that confidence to feel fine talking in front of a group of people and really important people as well. One of the things I was also really struggling with was really trying to figure out what my students liked. Um, And then oddly enough, it took me two or three months to actually ask my students, what would they like to read in class? And the, the one commonality that I heard is that, so we really want to hear scary stories. And I was like, of course they want to hear scary stories. These are kids. And like, I really wasn't connecting like the commonalities between like, kids in the states and like kids in india kids also just like to be really scared and they like to hear about weird stuff and so one of the things that i saw as like an opportunity for me to like insert there was the collection of stories the scary stories that you tell in the dark and in particular one story that the students really like was the story of harold the scarecrow basically harold the scarecrow is these two kids beat up a scarecrow in this cornfield and then one of the days at nighttime while they're beating the scarecrow up harold the scarecrow eats one of them and then the kid turns into the scarecrow and so for us as adults that's laughable but for kids they're like at least my kids my students they were like Sir, one, what is a scarecrow? And sir, two, this story is awesome. And so like that was really a moment where I can like, oh, like, okay, this is like a good opportunity for me to explain American rural culture and talk about cornfields and talk about scarecrows, but also like see the kids actually be engaged and like want to hear more like odd stories. While I was doing my Fulbright, there was one weekend where both of my friends that I had studied abroad with in Delhi, they were both in India at the same time. We all met up in Varanasi. um, And then one day we're walking along the Ghats. And so if you haven't been to Varanasi, it's one of the oldest inhabited cities on earth. On one side, you have the Ganga River, which is this holy river. People dip themselves morning, noon, and night in terms of being spiritually blessed. And then on the other side, you have these ghats, which are basically large step wells that lead into into the Ganga. Um, and so there's one day that we're kind of just um, walking along the ghats. And then out of nowhere, it just starts to be torrential downpour. Like it, the rain is coming down. It's like pelting us. It's not one of those storms. We're just like, oh, all right, well, we can kind of just hide somewhere and then maybe it'll like go away after five minutes like no this was like consistent rain downpour we're trying to find trees we get under the tree the tree isn't helping and we're just like soaked at this point in time as we're hiding under one of these trees we see this man who's in one of these kind of haveli style homes that are pretty common in varanasi and he sees us from his porch and he says hey, come over here. The rain is not going to stop anytime soon. You can at least dry off at my place. And so we kind of have that moment that I think a lot of foreigners have who have traveled where it's like, you're kind of looking at your friends and it's like, should we do this? You're given that look of uncertainty. You're not really sure what to do. 
But we're like, all right, either we can still stand under this tree and be rained on for who knows how long, or we can see what's up with this man. We end up going up up to his house. It was definitely, I think, even just a simple act of kindness, right? Like really showing someone compassion. Say like, hey, I see that you're struggling. I see that you're hurting, whether or not it be like physically hurting or just like you're soaked in rain. Um, and so he invites us in his house and like we really kind of connected with him. He didn't have that much to give, but he already had a uh, a pot of dal, which is basic, which is basically lentils cooking on the stove, and he had some chapatis. We were sitting in his haveli, rains coming down, and we're just sharing a meal of dal and chapati, and that was really, I would say, one of the kindest moments that really you, I reflect on still to this day. One of the main things for me with India is that it can constantly at a lot of times be an assault on the senses and either depending on where you come from that can either be a good thing or a bad thing sometimes it's in the middle in particular when you are going into these different holy spaces whether it be a hindu temple or a mandir or a sikudwara or a buddhist temple you kind of really kind of feel those vibes once you come in it's uh, i would say a little bit different than kind of the western traditions that maybe americans or most americans would be um used to it's like you walk into the place and it's really about the feeling the right practice rather than the right thought so making sure that you're kind of making the eye contact with the deity you are kind of in the zone sitting down kind of taking in the different ragas that are there and i would say for me one of the constant or one of the repeated like experiences that i had maybe with transcendent but kind of feeling like wow this is different was with my service learning placement that i had um, when i was in delhi at the sikudwara and so every day we would go into the main hall and so in sikhism um the main hall you have the what is the holy book which is the guru granath sahib it sits squarely in the middle of the center of the chamber and then surrounded by the book you have all of these musicians and so they're playing tabla they're playing what would be the equivalent of an accordion and you're and everyone is kind of sitting and kind of bowing back and forth but they're like kind of sitting cross-legged and everyone's kind of nodding back and forth and really we would this is how we would start off our first 15 or 20 minutes from our experience just to kind of sit down have that moment of meditation that moment of relaxation and you it sounds cheesy but it's like kind of one of those moments where you kind of like feel that connection to other people and you're not necessarily touching anyone everyone kind of the space is big enough that you kind of have your own area where you can kind of just sit down cross like it take in the music kind of close your eyes and kind of just have that experience be whatever you want it to be and i would say that's kind of a weekly repeated experience that I really looked forward to and that I, I definitely miss now kind of just having those moments of tranquility whether or not it be me relating to kind of a religious being or finding my own center finding my own peace and taking in what the experience has been thus far. You have this term that's called bideshi and so bideshi basically means foreigner as we kind of got into 
our experience and like we got further in we kind of had that that little bit of sense of confidence that comes with kind of knowing what your route is in terms of hopping into auto every day getting to the program house you know who your chai wala is you know who the person that's going to be giving you momos every day and like as soon as they see you they already have the food ready for you um and then you kind of get this confidence and then when you start seeing other foreigners one of the inside jokes that we would have is like Oh, like, look at the bideshis over there. And so, I mean, it's not necessarily the nicest of words, but it's kind of one of those things where it's like you are kind of going through this process of, at least for yourself, the, the foreign is starting to feel less foreign to you. And so you can kind of see the look on other people's faces where they're like, wow, where am I? What is this? Even though that was just us maybe three or four months ago, we feel like we felt as if we had progressed to the to the point where we were just slightly less bideshi. I think for me, if I didn't have the experience of studying abroad, being a Gilman scholar, being a Fulbright scholar, and not having gone to India, I definitely think my worldview would have definitely been a lot different so even though i am from new york city from a very cosmopolitan place really really mixy in terms of the different types of cultures i think there is something to be said about taking a person out of an element and out of a place that they're familiar with and kind of dropping them in something that is totally different totally kind of turns them upside down may seem like an alien world at first and i think i wouldn't have not been able to kind of value and get a better understanding of what it means to be an american in the context of being an american through the eyes of someone that is not american and i think also too being able to see the similarities between cultures in particular in terms of of uh, similarities as it relates to social issues different struggles different identity crises that generations countries um, society has in realizing that although india may be thousands of thousands of miles away there are there's so much overlap there's so much parallel between the different struggles that may be going on in india within a city like kolkata or a city like new delhi or even within rural villages and kind of rural areas that are in the united states too That experience as well as my experience working with students really kind of led me to pursue a career in international education. Before going into the experience, I kind of knew what international education was, but I wasn't really sure. It, it was still like really foggy for me. But after coming out of, out of that experience, I was like, all right, I know I want to do something related to it, but I didn't know just what yet. And so after um, my Fulbright experience was over, I moved to Washington, D.C., and I would later become a study abroad advisor um, at George Washington University. And for me, one of the things that I really wanted to pass on was in particular from the experience that I had being a black man in a space where not too many black people go to. I wanted to kind of change that that stereotype and help promote study abroad to students who either look like me, had a similar background, first generation college student, Pell Grant eligible. One of the biggest things that I like feel like most proud of during my time at GW was like working to help other students who were Pell Grant 
be awarded the Gilman Scholarship because I know for me without that without that money and without kind of gaining those skills I wouldn't been I wouldn't I would not have been able to study abroad at all and then even from that experience even after um, transitioning out of GW and in my new role now as a as a program manager at CET one of the things that I'm really excited about in my job is that I'm able to continue working with programs in India I'm really excited to continue to help like kind of create those spaces where students can feel comfortable going to India yet still challenged at the same time with their experience and like being able to help them kind of wrestle with those different social issues um, and making sure that they're prepared for what is definitely a whirlwind experience of being in India, being an American in India and all of that and what that encompasses. Twenty two thirty three is produced by the Collaboratory an initiative within the U.S. State Department's Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs, better known as ECA. My name's Christopher Wurst. I'm the director of the Collaboratory. 2233 is named for Title 22, Chapter 33 of the U.S. Code, the statute that created ECA. And our stories come from participants of U.S. government-funded international exchange programs. This week, Savon Jackson talked about his two ECA exchange programs to India, one as a Gilman scholar, the other one as a Fulbright English teaching assistant, or ETA. For more about the Gilman, Fulbright, and other ECA exchange programs, check out eca.state.gov. We encourage you to subscribe to 2233. You can do so wherever you find your podcast, and leave us a nice review while you're at it. And we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us at ecacollaboratory at state.gov. That's E-C-A-C-O-L-L-A-B-O-R-A-T-O-R-Y at state.gov. Photos of each week's interviewee and complete episode transcripts can be found at our webpage at eca.state.gov slash 2233. And now you can follow us on Instagram at 22.33 underscore stories. Special thanks to Savon for his stories. I did the interview and edited this episode. Featured music was The Zeppelin and City Limits by Blue Dot Sessions, Burgundy and the Trumpet by Dana Boole, and Love of My Life by Boxcat Games. Music at the top of each episode is Sebastian by How the Night Came, and the end credit music is Two Pianos by Tagirlius. Until next time.